Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Thank you for coming to All Saints. It's good to worship together. So if you want to take your Bible out and go far right into the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation, we're going to look at Jude today. We're beginning a little short series on the book of Jude, one of the most ignored books in the entire New Testament. And thankfully, there has been a recent surge of interest and study in this one chapter book, Jude. And we're going to be digging into the 25 verses over the next four weeks or so. And we're going to see that it contains a very rich and fiery message. And what we're going to see in this book of 25 verses, the overall message is contending for the faith. And we'll be looking at that. And basically it's Jude calling for the church to preserve the gospel of the kingdom and to promote it. The teachings of Jesus and the apostles given to us now in Holy Scripture. And before we look at this book, let me just ask here, how many of you, this will be your first time to dig into the book of Jude? Why don't you wave at me? I'm guessing the majority of people I'm waving as well our first venture into the book of Jude. And what I want to do is we're only looking at four verses today, but I want to do, I want to cover a few introductory matters on the book of Jude, the authorship and date, the theme and purpose, and then the structure so we can understand it. And this book historically is attributed to Jude, and his name is In Hebrew, Judah, Judas, Jude, and in the New Testament, he goes by Jude. It's a very common name in the first century, and there's about six Judes in the New Testament. Again, Jude or Judas, and this is not Judas Iscariot, right? He's the infamous disciple of Jesus that betrayed him. This is one of the brothers of Jesus and James. And you can go look this up later, but in Mark 6, 3, it references Jude, the brother of Jesus. Also in Matthew 13, 55, it references Jude, the brother of Jesus. And it was a very popular name because it was one of the 12 tribes of Judah, And it was also the name of someone about 160 years before Christ, a guy named Jude or Judas Maccabeus, who was a revolutionary that wanted to overthrow Rome, 
and see the Lord establish his kingdom. So there's debate around Jude, who this is, but I think it's many of the early church fathers say this is the brother of Jesus and James. And again, many recent New Testament scholars are resurfacing the importance of this book. If you want to geek out a little bit with me, there's a couple of commentators you can look at. One guy's name is Richard Bauckham, B-A-U-C-K-H-A-M, and he's one of the key Protestant scholars who in 1980 began to study the book of Jude and kind of put it front and center in theological discussion. Another guy's name is Gene Green. Now, there's some interesting things that you're going to see in the book of Jude, and there are some reasons that people have avoided the book of Jude. And we're going to get into this in great detail. I'm just kind of laying this out a little bit, but one reason there's debate around Jude and avoidance of the book of Jude is that it references two books outside the canon of Scripture, two books that are not included in the Old Testament or the New Testament collection. And those are the books of the Assumption of Moses. We're going to run into that at verse 9. And then another called the Book of Enoch, which lots of people are talking about today. That's at verses 14 and 15. So this is something that people have to think about. Whoa, books outside of the New Testament canon are included in the book of Jude. What does that mean? Now let me just ask for a second here. We worked through the book of Acts, and some of you remember in a particular chapter, the Apostle Paul did the same thing, didn't he? What chapter was that where Paul was actually preaching to the people at Athens, and he references people and works outside of the canon of Scripture? Does anybody remember what chapter that is? 17, that's right. Acts chapter 17 Paul references some philosophers that are not included. He quotes them. So therefore, the quotes from the philosophers become part of the Christian canon. It's very interesting. So people that have a problem with Jude doing this need to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. He does it at least three times. He talks about someone named Menander in 1 Corinthians 15. He quotes someone named Epimenides and Titus 1, and then he talks about Aratus in Acts 17. So we'll get into this later, but for the early church and the people that were dealing with the apostolic writings, this was not a problem at all. He's using literature to make a point, popular literature to make his points, and that's what Jude is, is doing. We don't know a whole lot about Jude, the author of this New Testament book, but we do know from a few places in Paul's writings that he was a prominent leader and that he was a traveling missionary. And Paul talks about him in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, when he mentions the apostles and the brothers of Jesus traveling and doing missionary work with their wives. So Jude is mentioned there. Early church tradition tells us that Jude spread the gospel of the kingdom all through Palestine, all through first century Israel, and that he died a martyr in Beirut 
in AD 80. We're not for sure on that, but many people in the first, second, third century say that. So a little bit of an introduction to Jude. Hopefully that helps. Now, theme and purpose of his letter. And again, this stuff will be helpful as we move deeper into digging into it. His purpose, we touched on this a little bit, is to encourage and embolden the church to contend for the faith. And he uses some really descriptive terms. So the book of Jude is about contending for the faith. Let's say that together. Contending for the faith. That's what the whole book of Jude is about. He does this in the context of some really cunning deceptive false teachers. So he calls the saints. We don't know where they were, probably somewhere in Palestine. He writes this letter to them and he says, I want you to be aware that your church is being infiltrated by false teachers. Open your eyes, be aware, and I'm gonna tell you what they're bringing in that is false teaching that does not line up with the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the apostles. And I'm calling you to take action contend for the faith, contend for the faith, preserve it, and then promote it, declare the gospel. So Lord, we just pray as we look at these four verses today, that you would put its fiery message in our hearts. We welcome the fiery message of Jude that you gave to us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that this local church would be a church that contends for the faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if we do some of this legwork, why don't we put this outline up here? It just helps us better understand the letter overall. There's an outline if, there we go. So this book of Jude is like any other ancient letter. It follows a specific format, right? So we're gonna look today at the opening of the letter and then next week, we'll look at the body of the letter, some of its main message you can see there. And then the closing, the conclusion, which actually has one of the most glorious doxologies or words of praise in the entire New Testament. We're going to spend a whole morning looking at that. So you see up there today, we're just looking at the first four verses, the address and the greetings, and then the reason for writing this letter. So let's dig right in. I'm going to read the four verses here. You follow along in your Bible, or you can grab a pew Bible there. I'm reading from New Revised Standard Version. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Beloved, while eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write and appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain intruders have stolen in among you people who long ago were designated for this condemnation as ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness 
and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for those words. So let's look at the first two verses here, the opening, his address and greetings. And it's cool to think about this. In the ancient world, a letter brought the writer of the letter in contact with the people that were reading it. So as Jude wrote this, it was like Jude was present with the people. They would take that letter, they would record it many times and copy it, and then they would read it as they gather together in home churches, as they gather together in a space large enough to contain everyone. And so Jude is writing this and he's saying, hello everyone, this is Jude. I am writing to connect with you about some serious matters. Now he could have said at the beginning of the letter, look at how he addresses himself. Do you see? Jude, what's it say, church? This is how he views himself. What is it? A servant of Jesus Christ. Now, Jude could have said this. Hello, everyone. I am the brother of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't do that, does he? He says, hello everyone, I am the slave of Christ. That is what the word literally means, a slave. And because of different connotations in our context in the Western world, a lot of times the word servant is used, but it's actually, the Greek word literally means slave. And so he is saying right from the beginning, I'm writing to you, I am no more than a slave of the Lord Jesus, my brother. He has bought me from the slave market of sin. I am owned by him completely. I am his worker and he is my master and Lord. Think about this for a minute. Some of you remember that Jesus' brothers in the gospels, how did they view Jesus? When he first began to do public ministry, he began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick. How did his brothers respond to him, including Jude? This guy's crazy. Jude was watching his brother and as the critics of Jesus were observing him, they were saying, he's lost his mind. First of all, nothing good comes out of the town of Nazareth. Second of all, this is just a normal guy, the child of Mary and Joseph. And so Jude was watching his own brother. John 7 verse 5 says specifically that he did not believe in Jesus. I love scripture. Do you love that? Just how real and raw it is. We've got people like this. He didn't believe. Hey, Jude, what do you think about your brother? I'm sorry. Dude's a little bit radical. I'm, I'm sorry. Our, our family is trying to rein him in a little bit. I just, I'm sorry. Jesus is a pretty intense brother to have. So friends, this was his mindset while he observed Jesus in the flesh doing his ministry. He didn't believe, along with many other people. What was it that happened? when Christ was resurrected from the dead. Jude went from an unbeliever, a skeptic, to now 
a slave of the Lord Jesus, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in Jude's life. Isn't it beautiful? The same transforming work that can go right into your heart and my heart and transform us from a skeptic, an unbeliever, someone who thinks that Jesus is a little bit radical, to saying, I fully surrender. He is the resurrected Lord of the universe and I give him everything. He's the brother of James. He also says here, he's just giving us a little bit of his biographical background so that those who receive the letter know it's coming from Jude, the brother and servant of Jesus and the brother of James. Again, in Matthew 13, verse 55, you can read about this. James was the famous leader of the church at Jerusalem. We encountered him in Acts 15. We got to see James, the other brother of Jesus, stand up with great authority and lead the first church council in Acts 15. It goes on to say in the second part of verse one, look at how he addresses the church. We're gonna see that Jude loves threes. He loves what are called triads. So he's gonna talk about the church, those that he's addressing in three terms. What is it you see there? They're called, they're beloved in God, and they're kept safe for Jesus. We don't have time to go into the meaning of each one of these words, but they are dense and they are rich. Think about it in your mind as you look back, and again, these are early Jewish Christians, so their minds are steeped in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And the first thing that they're thinking of when they hear the word called, two people in Genesis 12, who was called? Abram and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, they were called and so Jude is saying, you are part of the called people of God that began with Abraham and Sarah. And church, what were, Abraham and Sarah were called to receive the blessing of God, right? And then out of that, what? They were called to be a blessing to all the nations. And so Jude is saying, you are called. You're the spiritual offspring, the spiritual children of Abraham and Sarah, called to be blessed by God and called to bring blessing to all the nations. This word called was so important for the first century Christians. Think about God called his people in Exodus 12 out of Egypt to be his own people, a people of worship, to receive his word. Then in the gospels, we find Jesus calling the 12. Remember he went up to the mountain and prayed and the father told him who to pick and he picked 12. He called them to be his disciples. So this is a very rich word, isn't it? You are called like the Old Testament people of God, like the New Testament people of God. And then we find this term used in most of Paul's letters, in the opening of his letters. You're called, demonstrating God, calling them unto salvation and grace. Look at the second one. I love this one, and I've been really soaking in this this week. Not only are they called, but what are they? Beloved. God reminds them that their calling and who they are and all that God does in their lives is rooted in the Father's love. Just like what Sam was sharing in his prophetic word. Man, the scriptures are just filled with this. Isaiah 44, 2 
says that God loved Israel, his people, and he called them to be his people and to do his will. At the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven speaks. It's the voice of the Father. And what does the Father say to Jesus in Matthew 3, 17? So that other people can hear. He says, you are my beloved son. So Jude is specifically taking these words and he's saying, not only church was Jesus beloved, but you are now in the beloved. You are in Christ. So the father looks at you, that local church, and says, you are beloved. I love you. Everything that I do is founded on and rooted in my love. If this gets a hold of us just a little bit, and I think it is, I think it's taken root in this local church, but if we know that we're called, called to be a part of the Lord's kingdom, and we're beloved, we're loved by the Father, the Holy Spirit's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be unstoppable. Look at the third here in his little triad, his trio of words. They're kept safe for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to use a big word here because it's important. They're kept safe, and part of that does mean in their current situation that the Father who loves us and calls us keeps us safe, and he kept this church that Jude was writing to safe, but it means much more than that. Here's what Jude meant. He meant the Lord Jesus is returning one day and he will come in flaming fire as the judge and Lord of all the nations. And it will be awesome and terrifying and the earth will shake and the nations will shake and the fear of the Lord will strike the earth. But you church will be kept safe by Jesus on that day. And that's true for us. Friends, we want the fear of the Lord vibrant and alive in our lives. We don't take the Lordship of Jesus lightly, but we are kept safe. So this week, I've taken those three things and I've used them as arrow prayers. And I encourage you to do that this week. Take those three things. If you're hit with anxiety or temptation, whatever it is, you can turn these three things into a prayer. Lord, I'm called called by the Father, I'm beloved by God the Father, and I'm kept safe for Jesus Christ. Stuff will preach and it will pray. Look at the next thing in verse 2. Again, every single word here is given to us by God through the Holy Spirit, and the church has treasured it for 2,000 years. Can you believe that? We get to read these words in our language and treasure them. That's why we sit with them. So he, Jude is saying, may mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Another set of three, isn't it? He's basically saying, may God's steadfast love and kindness, another very rich Hebrew word, Jewish word, may peace, the well-being that comes from the Father's mercy and love, the love of God in Christ Jesus be yours. Now let's look at verses three and four. This is where he moves into the body of the letter. And this is going to be 
his message unfolding in layer after layer here. Look at verse three. It's interesting to see Jude had one thing in mind. Look at it. I was eagerly preparing to write to you about our common salvation. So Jude was there, poised, ready to write about the salvation that they had in Christ and all that that meant, and the Lord had other plans. He found it necessary, on the other hand, it's my paraphrase here, to appeal to you. So rather than write one letter, I'm writing this letter to appeal to you that you would contend for the faith. Now the faith here is a noun, isn't it? It's not put your faith in Jesus. It's not trusting in Jesus. It's the faith. It's the body of teaching passed down from the Lord Jesus and the apostles. The faith. Matthew 28 says that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations and what? Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. All that I taught. That's the faith. All that Jesus has taught us through the apostles, through the disciples. We talk about this quite a bit because we were in Acts 2 forever, weren't we? And the book of Acts, Acts 2, they were devoted to what? The apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. So this, when he says contend for the faith, church, he means contend for the teaching of the apostles. Guard it. He uses a pretty powerful word here. What does your version say? Mine says contend. Some of you are probably using the NIV or the ESV, maybe some NASB. Everybody, is it contend? So it's a word that's taken from the Greek Olympic Games. And so he is saying you are in a battle. It's also a word that's used in warfare, literal warfare. He's saying you are going to need to contend to grapple with, to wrestle, to fight against false teaching. And he's gonna go on later to talk about rescuing people from false teaching that has taken hold. Friends, this week I've been thinking, why would he use that language? Why not, hey, just give it a good shot, you know? Preserve the faith. No, he's saying contending for it because it's a fight. Personally, anybody in here ever fight the fight of faith? That's what the Apostle Paul says. I've been very candid with with you. I have to fight the fight of faith. It's not patty cake, but on a daily basis, I am opening the scriptures reading them, praying them, getting on my face, and fighting, contending for my own personal faith with Jesus. And so he's calling the church here to contend for the faith, both personally and to preserve the apostles' teaching. Then he goes on to say, look at the rest of it. This is the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Church, that's you. That's me. That's sinners who are being made holy by God through the Lord Jesus. It's interesting. It says there it was once and for all entrusted to the saints. 
Think about this for a moment, okay? This is kind of a foreign concept to us because we like new stuff, don't we? We like new books, new ideas, new insights, fresh. And Jude is actually saying we contend for the faith not by seeking out the new stuff, but by preserving what God gave to us through Christ and the apostles. We're gonna see here actually that the new is a problem for this church. There are some groups of people that come through, they begin to teach new things, which we're gonna look at shortly, and it contradicts their roots. And so here at All Saints, we want to, in response to this letter, we want to contend for the faith that God has given us through Christ, through the apostles, preserved by the church over the last 2,000 years. He uses some strong language here. Let's look at this as we end. Verse four, he says, you've got some intruders who've infiltrated your local church. These people have come in and they've pretended to be your friends. They've used flattery. And now Jude, one commentator says, is going to unmask them. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're probably itinerant teachers and preachers and prophets who've come through town. And Jude has some heavy things to say. Now again, this is oftentimes foreign for us to hear such strong language about false teachers and false teaching. But friends, this is the word of the Lord for us until Christ returns. That's why we're looking at this. Now let's look closely here. He's going to say that just like, and he's gonna give it examples. These people are condemned, they will be judged by the Lord and he's gonna give examples of that. But look at what they do. He's very specific here. What is it that they pervert? What do they twist? The grace of God into licentiousness, which just basically means sexual perversion. Tell me if this sounds familiar. These false teachers are twisting the grace of God into sexual excess. Sound familiar? This is a new spin on the doctrine of grace. Not unlike modern hyper grace teaching that leads to unholy living or cheap grace as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the Christian who fought Hitler and the Nazis so they're perverting, they're twisting the grace of God to give permission to their sexual excess. What else do they do here? It's twofold. One is perverting the grace of God, putting a new spin on it. What's the second thing? They're denying our only master and Lord. So they're basically saying this new spin, this new understanding on grace has freed us from moral living so that we can live unhindered sexually. Do you see how pertinent and timely this is? This is the word of the Lord for us, church. And we're gonna see Jude, he roots the whole message in the love of God. So we should be the most joyful people in our country, the most joyful people on the planet. We're loved by God. But then we also have a message that we follow. And when we see these two things happen, 
when you see, first of all, the distortion of the biblical teaching on grace that leads to the perversion of God-given and God-honoring sexuality, there is false teaching. Sink in. A second thing, where there is the denial of the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ, there is false teaching. Let me give a couple things as we end here. In connection with the first one, the first twisting. Ever heard this before? I am free by God's grace to have a secret life of sexual fantasy, whether hetero or homosexual, or to act on sexual impulses that do not line up with the teachings of scripture. I'm free because of the grace of God. That's false teaching. The second, ever heard this before? I believe that Jesus Christ was a good teacher. He was a moral leader, but not the son of God through whom we come to God and to whom we're accountable. There are many ways to God besides Jesus. He's one and it's a good one, but there's many. Or I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not gonna be so radical about it. False teaching. Friends, he's gonna unpack this in the context of love and grace, true grace. Why don't we stand? And this letter is going to speak to us over the next few weeks. He's calling us to contend for the faith, the gospel of the kingdom that's rooted in scripture. Next week, we're gonna look at verses five through 16. If you wanna peek ahead, verses five through 16, he's gonna drill down into these false teachers, who they are, what they practice. I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come up and I think we need some extra hands on deck.